0: Welcome to the Inspired Teacher's Guide podcast. We are Kim Wilkins and Laura Wildridge, just two teachers trying to podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us. Our goal is to help you by discussing a variety of topics that will help you as a whole, in the same way we want to focus on the whole child. On this podcast, we will be talking in and outside the classroom. Hey, everybody. We hope you're having a great week. It's a great day. Today,
1: our structure, we're going to, we have a guest. We have a guest today, Laura. And we're going to review what we talked about last week Mm -hmm. and move on to our new topic, which I think all teachers want to hear about. And that is behavior. Behavior. We never know if we're doing the right thing, really what to do with kids. And we have an expert who's going to share with us everything we need to know. Um, and then we'll wrap up with our. I used to think, but now I know, which will this myth will be focused on behavior too. All right, I'm excited about today. I am too.
0: All right, let's review last week's um, episode, which was all about organization. So, um, in that episode, the main things we want you to remember are, you know, organization just kind of takes things off of our plate, our mental plate and table. And an organized room um, helps the flow of our teaching. It does. And it helps the students too. It frees them up to focus on mm-hmm. what we're teaching. Yeah. And really, when you look at the research, if we are helping them organize, if we're prompting them to do it, then that will build their skills up. That's too. Right. We Someone has to teach them. Yes. How to do that. Yeah. And so that's up to us. Um, And another reason why we want to have an organized classroom is we just don't have seconds to spare and we just don't want to lose our flow. So, yeah. All right. We have a great guest today and I think I will do a drum roll. Just so our guest today is Angie Branch. Angie Branch. Welcome, Angie. I've known you since you were a little girl. I know, I know. This is cool because I have known Angie since we were little girls. We
1: all went to church together. We did? Yeah, we were little girls. Yeah,
0: we did. All three connected. Yeah. Yeah, I can remember jumping on the bed with you, Angie, when we were little. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) have lots of things going on. Angie, we'll introduce you now a little more later, but do you have an organization tip or trick that you'd like to share with us?
2: I do is I'm very, on Sundays, I don't have to sit down and just old school plan out my week. I don't use a calendar or anything. I use notebook, paper, which I think is hilarious, but what works for me. And um, I write every single thing down of what's going on throughout the week, just like a calendar. But then I take that and plan my grocery meals around what we have going on. So is it going to be a quick meal that that night? Is it going to be a harder one, you know, something that takes a little bit longer. Um, and if I do not do that, it messes my entire week up. So that is the one thing it's simple and nothing crazy, but I have to have that done before I start my week and it makes the flow of my week go so much better at home and at school because I'm not at school worrying about what I'm where I've got to get someone or what I'm feeding them or anything like that. And so um we do that. And then we also have four kids. One of them is in college. So she hasn't been here this last year. But um I've gotten to where I let my boys each choose one meal that they want me to make at night. And then they each get two snacks for the week and they each choose a drink for the week. So it kind of helps me not have to use a lot of brain power and we all kind of work together to get that done and then our week is planned and everybody knows what we're having for dinner everybody knows what's coming at the week. And so that has, that's what works for us to keep us a little bit more organized around here.
0: Oh, I love that you're love activating some choice. And I mean, that's great, Angie.
2: I-, I will say last year we did this great thing where um, I just did it with Jason, my husband and Riley, which again, she wasn't home this past school year, but, on Sundays, I would send both of them like a Google doc. And it was kind of like a planning thing where we chose our must-dos. What do we need to get done on Sunday before we go back to school and work on Monday? And so we had like three must-dos and then we would have five goals for the week. So I'm looking at Jason's, one of his older ones right now. And it was like, spackle holes in crew's closet, you know, like little things that he just needed to look at that doc so that he'd be like, okay, that's on my list of things to do. And then we would list 10 things we were grateful for that, that week. And so I asked them to do Mm -hmm. it um, every Sunday so that they would kind of look back on their week and think about what they were grateful for that week. And then they gave themselves, or we gave ourselves two affirmations, things we were good at. And it just kind of just I got that somewhere I don't know probably Instagram or something but I kind of created my own doc and sent that out and it was just kind of like this whole planning thing that just helped us have a more smooth week so
1: and and gave you a chance to reflect too so you can reflect on you know how things are going I love
0: that it's a great idea Yeah. yeah yeah So, just a reminder, listeners, that um, all the products that we shared last week—if you haven't had a chance to listen—we encourage you to do that because you'll get to hear how we use the products. But those um, are linked on the show notes from last week. All right, let's get into today our behavior. So, this is a topic that we dip our we can we can dip our toes in over and over and over, and that we will on this podcast in different ways. We know that it's a big concern for teachers, and we're going to kick off um, studying behavior in a great way. So, Angie, will you share a little bit about your story and your education background, too, and maybe what got you interested in studying behavior?
2: Sure. So, um, I am a teacher. I have been teaching now for, I think I just finished my 10th year. I can't keep up. I started later Um, because I stayed home with my kids there for a while. And so I think I just finished year 10. Um, I'm now a librarian at Woodrow Wilson in the Paragould School District, and I love it. It's like my dream job. So I'm very glad I'm there. I don't really want to do anything else, but I never know what's going to come up. (laughs) Um, But we have four kids, Dyson and I. We've got four kids. Three of them are biological. And we started fostering in 2016 the beginning of 2016 and had several different foster children we saw a lot of behaviors didn't really know what we were dealing with because our other three kids had been pretty for the most part pretty neurotypical and you know had some behaviors but not anything that we didn't know how to deal with and so we started getting these foster children and they were like completely different they had been through a whole lot more than what our kids had ever been through. And so they had a lot of trauma coming into our homes. Um, so we had several of those, and then we got our our now current son. We fostered him for about a year and a half before we adopted him. And he, we adopted him, he was two and a half, and that was in October of 2017 when we adopted him. So we dealt a little bit with behaviors from him prior to adoption. But he was two, so we didn't really know. We thought they were just like these temper tantrums that were just normal. Um, but as time went on, they got worse and they got more violent and we had to kind of figure out what it was we needed to do. We were kind of at our wits end because we had tried everything and nothing was working. And so we knew we had to reach out to some, somebody for help. And in 2020, which was the summer that he would have been, five, he, he turned five at the end of that summer, but he was four at this time. And we were dealing with running away. I mean, he was, he was leaving our home, running away. He was running over to the next neighborhood, like not just running out the door, but he was running down a busy street into another neighborhood. He was destroying his bedroom, extremely violent. And we had no idea what to do. So he was eventually diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder. And I had heard of reactive attachment disorder before, but I didn't know what it was. It's a confusing... I still cannot tell you why they call it reactive attachment disorder. Because I'm like, I don't... You have to really think about why it's called that. And I don't have the brain power at this point to think about it. But I. It's basically reactive attachment disorder is when these children are not nurtured, it's from a lack of nurture, and they are, they cannot form attachments with their parents. They cannot form attachments with their caregivers. They have major trust issues. And because as babies, they were not cared for. They were, they weren't taken care of when we have a baby. And and the healthy way is when they cry, we pick them up, and we meet their needs and do all these things. But these children did not have that. That is why reactive attachment disorder comes into play, because they are meeting their own needs. They eventually stop crying because they know that no one is going to come and get them. They realize what it feels like to be hungry, but then they just move on because no one has come to feed them. So they are not, their brain is not forming correctly. And that is one of the misconceptions of foster care and adoption. Um, Crew was, our son is named Crew. He was eight months old when he came to live with us and he never went anywhere else. We started fostering him at eight months old. So we hear a lot, you know, he was a baby when you guys got him. I don't understand why he acts this way. Well, it's because for the eight months that he was in the womb, because he was early, he was in the womb, and the eight months that he lived outside of the womb with his biological mother, he was not cared for. So his brain completely formed incorrectly and very unhealthy. And so even now, at almost eight years old, we are still dealing with that lack of brain formation. Correct formation. So, um, so that's what he is. He was diagnosed with reactive attachment disorder. And then we reached out to a place in Jonesboro, King's Ranch Ministries, who changed our lives and they trained us. And it was some of the hardest six weeks of my entire life. That entire summer was spent with just crew and I together at home during the day. I had to find childcare or thing, places for my other kids to go because crew and I were not bonded at all. And I had to bond with him. He didn't trust me and I did not trust him. I I was very bitter because I thought I've loved this child and I've done everything I need to do for this child. And now he is beating me up and destroying my things. And, you know, it was, it was,
1: He's two way
2: street. I'm I'm sorry.
1: sorry? How old was he again when you did that? When, uh, when we went through King's ranch, he was four. So
2: no, I'm sorry. Yes. Four. I'm sorry. It was 2020. Um, so yeah, right. When COVID kind of schools shut down and everything, we, it was that summer and he was four years old. So um, we had gone a long time of not bonding. I was guilty of kind of handing him over to Jason to take care of because I was kind of, bent. I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. So we had to really retrain ourselves to learn that, like I, I needed to step in and bond with this child or things were going to be even worse. So, and I, I didn't say this earlier, but when we, when we started fostering him, We got him on a, he was placed with us on a Sunday night and like around six or seven. And I bathed him and put him to bed. And the next morning I took him to daycare and dropped him off at another strange place. So less than 12 hours later, this child, this baby who has come to us, I'm already pushing him off on someone else. And I did that for years because that's what, you know, I had to go to work the next day. So Mm -hmm there was no bonding or attachment with us at that point and what if i knew then what i know now would have done things differently of course but i didn't know and so that's kind of my message is that you know we do with what we know and you know i want people to know better so that we can do better
0: and continue to grow and then implement what we learn so, Angie, I i mean, it breaks my heart for crew, but I just think about all the other children and adults who, um, you know, have experienced that. Do you know any, I mean, I'm way throwing you at this, at, but do you know of any stats of percentages of people that may possibly, I mean, I know it's probably very underdiagnosed, but. I do
2: not know a percentage, but I do know that it is very underdiagnosed and it's misdiagnosed. Um, okay. a lot of times it is misdiagnosed as, um, ODD, which we do have a diagnosis of that as well. We have, uh, we have RAD, ODD and ADHD are the three diagnoses that, that crew has. Now I will tell you that there is a medical professional that we see and we love, but she does not think that crew has rad. In she does not think that he has rad. Okay. And I think in talking to his therapist and things, I, I think it's because of all the work we've done at this point that she doesn't realize how bad it was in the beginning. You know, I i don't know. I don't argue too much about it because I'm like, it kind of, these tricks and things that i use with him work with really any child, whether it's RAD or ODD or mm-hmm. ADHD, any of those things. Um But I don't know you know, actual statistics on it. I do know it's misdiagnosed a lot or not diagnosed.
0: Yeah, that's what I was all. worried about. So ODD mm-hmm. is Oppositional Defiant Disorder. And then what else did you say? ADHD. Oh, ADHD. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. So
1: when you were talking about um, care in utero, mm-hmm. do you want to talk about that a little
2: bit? i try not to talk about Cruz's specific story. Um, but I will say that most of these children are have no prenatal care at all. The mothers have had no prenatal care. Um, a lot of times drugs and alcohol is involved and that just further complicates um, things yeah um, And so it is extremely important that, we're looking at what happened to them in utero too. Because even these newborn babies who are coming to us in foster care, I I have friends who have babies that came to them from the hospital, newborn, and it's three or four or five years later, and they are having the exact same issues. And some of them have the same diagnoses. So. That right there tells you that it doesn't always it's not a miracle worker that these babies are coming straight out of the hospital and going straight to this adoptive or foster home. They're still going to need that, um those parents need that knowledge of what has been going on in utero so that they can take it from there and really kind of reverse it, I feel like. Because mm-hmm. I would think I'm not an expert in that department by any means, but I would think that If if I had a newborn come to me now, I would know so many different things to do. I would not let them cry anything out. You know, I would do constant skin to skin. You know, all of that, those things that we as biological mothers do with our biological children, you need to start doing that with these babies. Even if you're a foster parent and you know that you're just fostering this child, this child is going to reunite with their family, which is always the goal, might I say, Mm -hmm. with foster care. Want to throw that in that it is the goal of foster care to reuni- reunify these families and so um that's just a psa if you're a foster parent make sure that you're not going straight to oh i'm adopting this baby um your goal is to get them back to their families because we do want those families together but um even if i was a foster parent knowing that that child was going to go back to their family still use those attachment techniques because you're, you're training that child to know how to attach to, to people
0: and Mm -hmm. have relationships with them. That's interesting. Yeah. And I think it's a great thing that you brought up because, you know, like you were saying, you were a busy mom, you had three kids and I know, know I've got three boys. And when that third one came along, it's just a lot. And we may end up, you know, putting them in the little bouncy seat or whatever, just out of convenience, really. Um, And so maybe we need to remember, you know, it is such hard work, mm-hmm. but that i probably every touch and every cuddle can build up to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So, I believe that with everything.
0: Okay, Angie, so you have had such in depth experiences, which led you to research and learn, and so what can you share with us, um, or with with teachers and parents that like this transfer of what you learn to the classroom and to um even managing, not managing, but parenting, I guess I should say.
2: So what we learned in Kings Ranch, it it I actually took a year off of work after we went through this training, so. I went back after taking a year off and I was I was floored at how much I had changed in the classroom and how my mind had changed about things and how I, it was like I had put these glasses on and all of a sudden I saw these kids in a completely different way. And every single behavior that they they showed, I would be like, oh, well, that's, that's because this just happened. And I started, it was crazy how my mind just completely turned around and I was just a different teacher, just a different person altogether. And it all just seemed so natural to me because I had been using these in my home for the last, at this point, I would say nine months, you know. Um, so the first thing that I highly recommend is that we, Every relationship with our students has to be built on them trusting us. So they have to know that we are cheering them on, that we are, that we are interested in who they are. Mm -hmm. And that's hard because we have classrooms full of kids, you know, 25 or 30 kids, and you, it's hard to do that with every child. But just getting to know them and showing them that they can trust you. You are their safe person because these kids, I can tell you, my son operates off of fear and anxiety 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. I can almost pinpoint every single behavior that he displays. And when I go back to the beginning, it's because he was, he was having some kind of anxious thought or he was scared of something or he was embarrassed. And so, When we start getting to know our students and know that, okay, that embarrasses them when we call them out and they don't know the answer. So I'm going to work around that. Or they are scared of something has happened that they are fearful of. And so we're not even going to mention that it's going to storm today. You know, like those types of things where you're just kind of going ahead of them and preparing an easier path for them. And I call that being proactive versus being reactive so i think a lot of times in the classroom what we're doing is we're reacting to all of these behaviors instead of us going before and being proactive to try to prevent some of these behaviors from happening because there are a lot of things that we can prevent that would keep those students from having those behaviors in the first place So I kind of tell, I share a story about, um, a few weeks ago with my own son, we had a, I was dropping one of my, one of my other boys off at football practice and I stopped at Sonic to get him, the football player, a drink. Well, he left the drink in my vehicle. And so I came home a couple hours later, I go back to get him. I noticed when I put crew in the back seat that that Sonic cup was still there. And I knew that I should have thrown it away because I know crew, like I know him. I know what he's going to do. He's going to mess with the Sonic cup. And, but I didn't, I didn't throw the Sonic cup away. I just left it there. We were in a hurry. I go, I pick the other child up. We're sitting, sitting in the parking lot waiting on him to come out and crew all of a sudden gets really quiet. And I turn around, and he has punctured that sonnet cup with a windshield wiper. That's another story. But Sprite is spilling all over my truck and into the cup holders. And I knew then that's an example of being proactive. It's a simple example. It's something kind of silly. But had I removed that temptation from him when I I knew I saw it, And had I removed it, honestly, had my other son thrown it away like he should have, (laughs) it would not have been there. But instead, then we dealt with crew feeling like I was angry with him. Um, I didn't handle it my best. The best way to do something like that would have been like, hey, crew, um, it's okay. It's not a big deal. And like assure him that everything's okay. It's really not a big deal if this is spilling. I didn't handle it that way. It wasn't. Ugly to him, but I just was a little more frustrated sounding in my voice. And he knew that. And so then we started in with crying and fit throwing and all of that, all because I, the adult in the situation, did not prevent that from happening. I was not proactive in removing the sonic cup, I was not proactive in using my tone of voice the right way to let him know that I wasn't upset with him. And so that spills over into the classroom. You know, those proactive things that we can do, um, making sure that our tone of voice is friendly, making sure that our facial expressions are friendly. If a child mm-hmm. does something that they know they shouldn't have done, they already know they shouldn't have done it. So then you as the adult or we as the adults can kind of be a little more calm in our demeanor mm-hmm. and. Then you take away that fear of that child. You know, now they're not, they're not afraid of their teacher anymore. They trust you and they know that you're, you're there for him, them. You're cheering them on and you guys are going to work through that together. And so those are, I don't know if I gave enough information about that, but just being proactive, pushing those Mm -hmm. obstacles out of the way for those kids who need them. And then I say all the time, Sometimes you have to give them something to work through, like, and we're working with that with crew right now, because right now I go through feeling like I'm just like pushing every single bush out of the way, you know, like, okay, no, you know, I'm putting out fires before he even gets there so that we don't have to deal with the repercussions of what happens if something doesn't go right. Um, But he does have to learn to overcome those. And so Every now and then I say, I put a little twig out for him to kind of work around, you yeah. know? we're trying to teach him how to work around those things, but it comes with time and it's like scaffolding, you know, we scaffold our students and we start pulling back a little bit more and it's kind of, kind of like that with these kids. So you just kind of have to um, walk alongside them, help them out as much as you can, and then mm-hmm. build that relationship with them and let them know that you're their safe person.
0: Oh, gosh, Angie, you've given us, I think we need to take a second to process. I think Kim and I can talk out loud and you can kind of help us do it. But it all goes back to relationships, uh, that foundational piece. And that does not matter if we're teaching junior high kids or, you know, I just finished teaching college kids and the relationship was tremendous. It was huge. And so we know that relationships are key. We know keeping our composure is key. And we're actually—do um, you know Amy Thomas? Amy O'Neill Thomas? she's going to come on and do a podcast in just a few weeks about the power of composure. So, and then I don't—you I, may have heard of Ross Green, but I've studied him for a long time, and he really—he says, you know. Kids who have challenges, um, which we all do, but, you know, that we may may term them as challenging kids, it's not like a surprise that they're acting, that they respond, but pretty much they're pretty predictable in their behaviors. You know, every once in a while, you might have a surprise, but when we really think about it, we know what trips them up. I think,
1: uh, I love your analogy about the path, by the way. So Mm -hmm. you want to... You said preparing an easier path for them and you're going to remove the trees, push every bush out. But every now and then they need a twig because they need to know how to step over it. And then we're walking that path with them. And I love that. That is a great analogy. Okay. the other thing was, we always talk about knowing our students. And I don't think as a teacher that I need to know Crew's whole story. Right? I don't have to know, like you said, you don't like to share. No, you don't need to. And as his teacher, I don't need to know all of that, but I do need to know some things about him. So if I'm Crew's teacher next year, what do I need to know as his teacher in order to make his path easier? Okay, so
2: um, that's a great question because you're right. You don't have to know every single thing, Um, but it is important that, number one, you listen to the parent, well, not number one necessarily, but listen to the parent because these parents know their kids better than we do. So mm-hmm. I know a lot of times as a classroom teacher, I would have parents come in and they would go on and on about their child and all of these things that um, I, I was listening to them, but I wasn't processing it at open house, you know. So just a letter of some sort would be sufficient as far as a parent letting the teacher know these are the things that he does. Bullet points, not a big, long paragraph that the teacher needs to read or anything of that nature, but just bullet points of, hey, if you notice that he is not doing his work, here are some strategies we use at home. So that's the parent side of it, okay? The teacher side, you you need to know what he's capable of, okay? You need to make sure that you don't need to know his history. You need to know his reactions to certain behaviors. So that goes back to the tone of voice, the facial expression, the Mm -hmm. relationship, all of that. But you need to know that he runs out of the classroom, you know, and he will escape when he gets fearful and when he feels like he is in trouble, he will escape the classroom. So you need to know that as a teacher and you need to start thinking about what if how can I arrange my room so that he can't get out the door quickly? Um, where should my desk be? Where should his desk be? You know, again, preventing some of those things from happening, but um, you need to know, what to look for and most of these kids are this way from what i've i've found you can start seeing how they're starting to shut down they are starting to either not listen to you they are crawling under a desk they are giving you some kind of sign they don't for the most part my experience they they don't just automatically um start doing they're giving some signs along the way they are shutting I've down heard it, i've
0: heard it i've heard it referred to in two different ways like the behavior funnel like picture yeah. a funnel it started with waking up late and then we were not happy on the way to school and then Lawson and forgot his shoes and you know and then all of a sudden at lunch something happened and then some you know it it blew up and it's really not just that one event it's collective and then I've also heard you need to be looking like open your eyes to smoke signals like they're they're happening we just need to have our attention you know out for it
2: yeah Yeah. so yeah that just learn to be on guard with that student or those students and be watching for things that are Coming from them, and then start thinking about okay, how am I going to deal with this if this escalates? But we're trying to get to it before it escalates. Mm-hmm. So um, that's the whole thing is trying to get to them and solve that problem before it escalates. So I hope I answered that question. Like you did. What future, okay, what they need to know. Um, know that Prue's teacher next year is already ready. She's like prepared. She is. She's ready to go. And um, has lots of plans on how how to kind of help de-escalate him when he gets to those moments.
0: And I think that is key. Maybe I don't know that I'm going to have this kid three months in advance. But as soon as I have a child, and even if I don't know they have a diagnosis, but they're showing me these things, then I need to be reaching out to people. Because, you know... We need support as teachers, and then doing my own research and and getting plans for. Okay, how will I respond? So when something happens, I, it's almost like I'm just pressing play, and working the plan instead of reacting. It goes. It's so much about being proactive. I, I'm when I uh, train my teachers, um, the students who will become teachers. My analogy is always Smokey the Bear. We are, we're, we're not fighting fires. We are preventing fires. Angie,
1: I used to have a, it was just a form that Mm -hmm. I sent home with parents at the beginning of school. Tell me, tell me something, a strength that your child has. Tell me a concern you have about your child. What's what, what are some things you really want me as your child's teacher for the next year to know about him or her? Is there something that we should add to that as teachers? Think there's anything that could be added because I know, um,
2: you know, the strengths, the weaknesses, and I think on the one that I used in the past was, is there anything else that I need to know? Here's the thing I need that I think that needs to happen on those forms I think they're great, but I think the teacher needs to really read them and really. Mm-hmm really read them. And i say that because there were years that I would send those out and the first day of school would start and those papers are coming back in and they stayed on my desk for weeks before I ever would be like, okay, I've got to go through these. And by that point, I've already really learned the child. And so mm-hmm. I think if we're going to send those, those forms out, let's make sure to get them read before school starts so that we kind of have an idea of what is coming to us and how how we can get to know those kids yeah so i think the strengths the weaknesses and the um anything else i need to know those are three main categories that i would because you need to know the kids strengths because i know for crew he loves to be you know positive reinforcement he loves to know that he's doing something right and so if that's a huge thing for for a child then we, as teachers, really need to build on that from the very beginning, you know, and give them, because that's going to help our relationship with them. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's us as adults, too. I mean, so much of when I'm teaching my students, I'm like, this is not kid behavior. This is human behavior. Yes. So I'm just thinking about that form. We could put it on a Google form and send it out on Dojo or Remind or whatever, and then look at who's is missing, and then we could send a paper form. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think, I mean, me as a high school teacher, I mean, if I had access to my college kids' parents, I probably would have sent that form home if I could have. But you know, like, that is, you know, so many of these things we think of as just elementary, but I always challenge people to think, is it brain friendly? Is it good practice? Or is are am I just being elementary? And typically mm-hmm. the answer is I'm being brain friendly or it's good practice. And yeah. I mean, what what happens, I think, when if junior high and high school teachers are not knowledgeable about these things, I mean, they're bigger bodies. Mm-hmm. It it could be even even worse. Yeah, because yes. it
2: does. And then you get to into puberty and things like that, which we obviously haven't gotten to that point yet, but we are preparing like Jason and I are already preparing as parents as to what may happen when puberty hits and when the older, you know, when he is older. And so when you talk about those junior high and high school teachers dealing with these kids at an older level, like that, we have to, we've got to be prepared and kind yeah. of study up on that stuff. And um, also piggybacking on what you said about, you know, human behavior. I catch myself, you know, I'm all the time saying, well, he's just really anxious or he's really fearful. And that's why he's acting this way. right now. I do the same thing. When I am anxious about something, I am as mean as a snake. I mean, I can say the worst things. And then when I calm down, I'm like, why did I say that? You know, I mm-hmm. I have to, and so we tend to expect these little bitty kids to fix all of this behavior, but they're we can't even fix ours half of the time. <laughs> 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 so you know, I think that is one of the things. Like we have to, we have to have a mindset change with with us as teachers, as adults. I shouldn't say just as teachers, as adults. We've got to start. Thinking, you know what, we we're all dealing with this, and we've just got to learn mm-hmm. how to, you know, how to process these things and realize that it's not just the little ones; it's us too that are
1: mm-hmm.
2: that are over. We can get overstimulated, and and when we think about how we feel when we're overstimulated, then we can start sympathizing and empathizing with the younger ones.
0: Mm-hmm. I think we as adults. It's the same thing that's happening, but we've just found more socially appropriate ways to demonstrate our behaviors. So, you know, something happens at home. I'm not down on the floor <laughs> kicking and screaming. You know, I I am. You know, I'm just spouting off rude or going into silent mode. But really, I'm I'm reacting the same way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm still. Deeply
1: traumatized by something I said to a woman at a shower in
0: 1987.
1: I still <laughs> haven't gotten over it because
0: of my memory. I just get it. I think about it. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, listeners. I just want to do a side note. Um, if you are a school leader or on your leadership team, Conscious Discipline has a new online program called Adult First Mindset and I did it this spring and it was fantastic PD. Fantastic. And it was really talking about how it starts with us and we have to regulate our state before I can even go in and help little Kim regulate her state. Because two two boiling pots don't do so hot together. Um, so I think that would be some, some power and that's like a self paced, um, professional development, or I'm sure you could have them come in if you've got PD funds, but it was fantastic.
1: Okay. So not every parent's like you, Angie. I mean, I, I, I take your baby because I'd get you as a mama, you know, I, that's great when you have a mom and a dad who know what's going on, they're working hard to, to raise this precious baby that God's given them. But let's talk about, um, other behavior. Like are there general behaviors that we can be aware of in the classroom for kids who haven't, there's no diagnosis that these kids aren't getting any counseling, the parents don't know what to do, or they don't even realize there's a problem really. That's just the world they live in. And it's just, it's just become so routine for them. So what are some things that we can look for as teachers that we can start to reach out to professionals to get help for kids and maybe help for families?
2: Okay. Yeah. So, Um, and that does happen, you know, unfortunately more often than not we're getting students who don't have the parents who know, who know what to do they are either they know that there's a problem but they don't know how to deal with it or they are just oblivious to what is going on so us as teachers i will i'm going to share just a little bit about um this is kind of this is this is what it's like with rad but again this goes with everything so if you notice that a child um is very indifferent to any kind of affection okay they don't want you to they don't even want to give you a high five they are they are withdrawn and they don't they don't care anything about building a relationship with you um, if you notice that they are doing things to what we call before what we call seeking attention okay you're doing if they're doing any of those behaviors that they are obviously trying to get attention if they do not respond to any boundaries, and I'm talking about very small boundaries. I'm not talking about classroom rules, or I'm talking about just, um, I need you to sit in your seat for five seconds. If they cannot do that, or they won't do that, that is a red flag. If they are um, inappropriately indiscriminate in their interruption. So that means that if they are overly wanting to hug you, if they are overly wanting to hug random people in the school, Mm -hmm. if they're overly wanting to be affectionate with other students, that's a red flag, especially for reactive attachment disorder, because they will go anywhere to get their attention that they're seeking.
0: Lying is... A lot. Okay. Can I say just something more quick? Cause it goes along with that. I've seen students and adults who just need that constant confirmation. You know, I'm not answering your question. You know this. And they're still like, but no, you know, and I think that is a red flag.
2: Yes. That is a red flag. If they are
0: constantly wanting
2: your approval, constantly wanting you to give them that attention, um, constantly telling you stories that are, um, I've had students in the past who they, they wanted to tell me stories that I wanted to listen to because I didn't want them to feel like they weren't being heard, but they mm-hmm. were silly stories. And is a huge one. If they are lying about anything, I mean, mm-hmm. these kids will lie about the smallest, smallest things. That is a huge red flag.
0: Um, <laughs> And I've noticed lying when you sat there and saw it. Yes. Like, oh, yes. you need to put up your phone. I didn't have my phone out. I'm like, it was just in your hand. And they're like, no, I didn't. You know, okay, we have some issues to work through. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so you just, uh, to stop that for just a second, we will, um, the way I deal with lying is I will just say, and this is something I learned from King's Ranch. I will say, um, I wonder if that's true. And typically the child will be like, it is true. And I will just say, oh, well, someone has trouble with telling lies. And then I just move on. I don't stop. I don't, um, I don't give any attention to it. It's basically just me letting that child know that I know that they're lying. Mm-hmm. And then something happens in their brain where they start going, okay, she knows. And so She's on to me. She's on to me. And that's the end of it. We don't talk about it. We don't, we just move on. But I'm just letting them know, hey,
0: somebody's got some
2: trouble with telling the truth. And then we just move on.
0: Well, I think Um, if if you didn't move on, it could ruin the class period. It could ruin the day for the kid. I think many times I see things happen. And even at home, I do it sometimes. I blow something up. I created this mess when it could have just been, uh, no, (laughs) you know,
2: you can put a stop to it pretty quick. You know, if, if you really think about it, if you stop and think about things that happen in your life, you're like, well, I could have actually prevented that, you know? (laughs) Um, but, um, let's see what else in the classroom. Oh, violent outbursts, physical aggression. Um, if they are hoarding any kind of food, a red flag um, a lot of these kids especially coming from hard backgrounds or um, or foster care or things like that they might hoard some food um, if they're playing with this one's gross but if they're playing with in the bathroom like playing mm-hmm. with their urine or their feces that's a red flag that needs to be dealt with um, if they are stealing if they are, superficially charming you know they they start out being really sweet and we have got to learn how to start realizing that they're really just manipulating which is a huge huge red flag if they are manipulating you it is time to start speaking to someone and and start getting that child some help so um, those are kind of the the signs that we as teachers can look for in order to start speaking with the counts if you've got school-based counseling, you know, to start getting it out there that hey, I think something might more might be going on here.
0: I think that's so important that we just can't stay in our rooms and think it's going to get better without seeking professionals, you know, to help us.
1: Um, can children can children who are from seemingly good homes, maybe they've got a nice house and two brand new vehicles, and they're in dance and cheer, and uh, can they have the same issue? Uh,
2: you know, obviously, I'm not a doctor or anything, but I have seen it. I okay. have personally seen these behaviors in children who are from great homes. And it could have been something as simple as, you know, in the beginning of their life they had some kind of trauma in mm-hmm. during their birth that caused them to not really be connected with their mother for a quite quite some time. Um I think that that can be um I don't want to say because I think that if a child is in The NICU or something like that, and those parents are there with them and touching them. And you know, I think that's different. And I think that this is just my own personal opinion. I think that that, I guess what I'm trying to say is just because your child is in the is away from you doesn't mean that you know, don't worry that later on you're going to be dealing with this. That's not what I'm saying because I Mm -hmm. think that we can overcome that because once you get home and you're really cuddling and Working on that attachment, I I think that that's. But I have seen some of these behaviors from kids who are from great homes and in great environments. And I am in a Facebook group with um, some people that have children with RAD and some of their biological children have RAD. So, you know, um, it's mostly because their child experienced some sort of traumatic event early on in life. And that's where the, these people are, where it's happened for them.
0: Okay. And that, uh, well, I just thought of another guest we need to have on. Um, But a lady taught me about trauma. She just started out and she was just mentioning different things like, um, you know, have you ever had a pet die? Your parents divorced. Your uh, well, a parent was deployed. Uh, you know things that we think oh yeah that's so sad but that truly impacts the trajectory of a lot of our behaviors I
1: really believe
2: that I really do I think there's a lot
0: going on that can cause some of these behaviors I really and do And I do not always have to be and listeners I don't want you to be like feel oh, there's nothing I can do about it because I can't go back and fix that trauma or whatever. Um, I'm going to go back to Ross Green. He says, challenging kids are not, I mean, they're not challenging. Their skills have been outstripped. And so whatever we're asking them to do, um, change classes quickly or, you know, whatever it is that they don't have the skills that prepare them to do these things. And so, then that is huge for us as teachers because we can help build those skills. Yeah, And we can't fix everything at one time. We have to pick, you know, I always tell people like you pick your priorities. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
0: I agree 100%. did want to talk a little bit about
2: dancing with Walter. You know, have you guys heard about it? I have not heard. Dan- is it a book or a. Yeah. It's a technique that I will use, I I use at home, but also in the classroom. And okay. um, it's in a for now, Walter, okay. and every letter stands for something um, that you as an adult don't do in order, as far as engaging with these children when they are at their peak level of dysregulation, because I think we as teachers and adults and parents are really guilty of trying to engage with the child when they are they're like losing their mind and we're Mm -hmm. trying to talk to them and we've got to learn to start letting them calm down first and then we can talk about what happened but um walter is is an acronym so i learned this again this is a king's ranch thing i think it may not be just king's ranch but that's where we learned it um the w stands for warnings so there are no warnings like in our home like crew knows what is expected of him and i don't warn him about what's going to happen if he doesn't do it if if that makes sense so he knows that if he does not do what i ask him to do then there will be some type of consequence whether it be a natural consequence or something that you know he has to take a time out for a second. Um, there's no warnings. We do not argue with him. So the A in Walter is for argue. So don't argue with these students. I have seen um, I've seen it happen many times and I've probably done it many times um, where we want to argue with them because we want to let them know that we are right, you know? And so we don't argue. Um, the A can also mean anger, like don't get angry with them, but we learned it as argue, um, L is lecture. Don't lecture them while they are, they're not listening. (laughs) If you're trying to lecture them about what they're doing wrong, they're, they're not listening to that in that moment. Um, the T is for threats. So don't threaten them. Don't make threats. The E is for explanations. So don't give an explanation as far as we're better at this at home than I am at school, really. But that just means if, if I ask you to do something, then I'm not going to explain why I'm asking you to do it. Like I need you to do it because you are going to respect what I asked you and I'm not, I don't have to give you an explanation for that, you know. Um, and then the R stands for two things. We learned it as rescue, meaning don't rescue these kids where you're changing the rules to make it easier for them. Mm. This, you know, this sounds, some of it sounds so strict and somewhat harsh, but it's not. It is, it makes them feel safe. It. This is a mechanism. It, it makes them feel like they are safe that's just how their brain works and so you are creating this consistent these consistent boundaries and so you don't rescue them don't change it just so they can um you know basically they do what you say the first time you do it that's kind of how it's don't change it and be like well okay if you do it if you do it 5 minutes from now that's okay no i ask you to do it right now Mm -hmm. So don't change those. And then R can also mean repeat. So we don't repeat ourselves at home. I say it one time and he, this just happened last night. I said something to him and he said, what? And I was like, I don't repeat myself. Because what they do is they are manipulating that situation a lot of times where he really did hear what I said. He's just trying to buy some time. So that he doesn't have to do it right then. So I don't repeat myself. Now, if he truly doesn't hear me, then he can like touch his toes 10 times, you know, and earn a time to hear me say it again. So, and he does that a lot of times where I'll say, I I can, I realize that he really didn't hear what I said. So I'll say, okay, if you want to earn a time to hear it again, touch your toes 10 times. and He'll do that. And then I say it again and he'll say, okay. And then we go on. So that's don't dancing with don't dance with Walter. Um, it's just an easy acronym to kind of keep you on track of things that you can kind of set those boundaries at the beginning of the school year of what you're not going to, you know, what your intentions are.
0: And I think when you hear yourself do them, being aware and start to be. To start catching yourself, mm-hmm. yeah. I when you were talking about the repeating one of my own personal children, if he asks what, that usually means I've caught him in a lie. I know what you're doing. Yes, no. exactly. It's it's like a, a key. It's giving him time to get a better story together. Oh no, sir!
1: I love it. It's I't dance with Walter.
0: I need to go back and raise my children <laughs> okay,. Well, I've been really thinking about something and your warning thing mm-hmm. going with a threat because I'll say, you know if you don't do this, whatever, and I'm posing it as a warning, but really it's a threat yes. I am trying to catch myself. In that, and I would even do it in the teacher, you know, like I'd be like, if you don't get this assignment in, of, you know, no, you're right. They knew the expectation. So I yeah. can remind them of the expectation if I want to, but I don't have to threaten them with the expectation.
1: And often as parents, those threats are empty. Oh, absolutely. If you don't, if you don't pick up your toys and we're not going to the park, they know you're going to the park because you yeah. want to get out of the
0: house. Exactly. Yes, yes. <laughs> They're smart. Though. Yes. They and are, they are so smart. I'll wait here until you um quit talking because we're going to, we're not going to lunch until and they're like, That's your lunchtime, sister. We're going yes. to lunch. <laughs> yeah. True. So and that's where we it's adult first mindset. We have to be able to regulate our emotions. So Oh, I can't! Your your episode, Amy's episode, are going to go beautiful so together. Good.
1: I've so learned good. so much from you today, Me
0: too. I and love Walter. Be That's a tool that <laughs> maybe we should put on a chart, <laughs> a secret chart on what our desk, think?
1: and it's. I can see a little Walter guy <laughs> dancing and no, dance no, no, no. Walter. Don't no, no, yes, you, you learned that. Um, I don't <laughs> guess you. You didn't talk to him about it, right? You just. no.
2: I didn't talk to him about it. We just started it and it took some time. Mm -hmm. It took some time. And I still have to say to my husband on a regular, not a regular (laughs) occasion, but often I have to say, you're dancing with Walter. And he'll be like, you're right. I, I am. I am dancing with Walter. And so it really became, we didn't talk about it with crew. We just started doing it and it took a little time to get consistent with it. And now it is our, I mean, that's just how we do it with all of our kids. I mean, it works with every child. It's, you know, but we learned it because of crew, but um, yeah, we didn't tell him about it. We just started doing it and we started changing the way our, our minds thought.
0: I'm so excited that this podcast is coming out. Before the school year starts, for many, oh, yes. for some are starting early. But you know, we can start trying to attack this in ourselves, and then when they meet us, this new batch of students, you know, they'll they'll just never know that we weren't like I know. this ever before. I know. <laughs> no, you go.
1: No, I look
2: back at myself as a teacher, you know, 10 years ago. And I'm like, I mean, even five years ago, I'm like, I am, I'm not even that person anymore. Like you don't even know what kind of teacher I used to be, you know, because I came into it being like, okay, this is how, you know, this is how it's going to be. And they're going to listen to me and we're going to be organized and we're going to and that didn't really work
0: that
2: well, and <laughs> <laughs> you know, so working for you, yeah,
0: yeah. The doctor's not working for you. I'm just thinking that for myself, I might not be able to fix all of Walter, but maybe I can identify to start. Maybe the two most common things that I can see myself doing as a teacher and as a parent, and and plan. Okay, what am I going to do? when that happens other than warn or other than threaten mm-hmm. and try to get a game plan and start attacking, you know, bit by bit. Yes. I think that, you know, somebody who is overwhelmed, you know, by, they can dance a little with Walter, but try to avoid, you know, like, and then start working their way of saying no, Walter, not, not doing yes. it. Um, dancing with that you would today. Yeah. What'd you say?
2: I no. said, I'm not dancing with you today, Walter. So yeah. Um yeah. that I love yeah. that you said that though, because that really if I'm being honest, the two main ones that we do at home are the arguing and the lecturing. We try to stay away from those two things. And so I love that you said that because you can just pick pick one or two that may be easiest for you to start changing your way mm-hmm. of thinking about and then start working on the other ones later. But you know, those are the two that we do at home the most.
0: That's what I was just thinking, Angie. You know, we we have our default reactions and they're probably pretty patterned. I'm speaking for everyone, but I know that that's me and that maybe if I can attack those two things that I'm going to lighten the load of a of, uh, fan in the flame very quickly. For me, probably it's explaining. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me
1: laugh. I try to tell you why you need to do this. So then that leads to an argument because my own children and children I've taught want to have a conversation about it. Then I started a conversation. Yeah. With an explanation. And that leads to some arguing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 Okay. If someone listening um, has a child or is a foster parent or has a family member who needs um, to get in contact with Kings Ranch, how would they go about doing that, eh? Angie? They yeah,
2: have a website um, that is kingsranch. I think it's kingsranchministries.org.
0: Okay. And we'll our show notes.
2: Yes. And you can, you might want to double check that link, but I believe okay. it's kingsranchministries.org. Um, if not, you know, someone could Google Kings Ranch Ministries and it will take them there. And then if the program that we went through and the one that is used for this purpose is called Unplowed Ground. And so there is an Unplowed Ground for parents and there is actually an Unplowed Ground for teachers. And I highly, highly recommend that teachers go through the Unplowed Ground training. It's all online. Um. You can watch the videos. I do think that they now are charging a little bit for it. They weren't. They weren't for a while. They were not charging for the service. But I think just in the last couple of weeks, I think for teachers, it might be like $20 a month or something to do the That's training. True. Um. But it is, it can you all the tools and they will show you all the videos of why these kids are doing this and where this behavior is coming from and what to do about it.
0: Wow,
1: that's awesome.
0: And that is I'm so glad you said that they could you know do it online because we have some listeners in other states and possibly yeah. another country and so they can still get this great information. Yeah. Man yeah. I twenty dollars yeah, yeah but if you're miserable, every day, <laughs> yeah. then I'll be happy to spend $20 to, to help me. Right, And it will be the best
2: $20 you spend a month. I promise you, if you are miserable in your classroom and you are just spinning your wheels, it will be, it's a great reset for you to start being like, okay, this is what I need to start with. Um, mm-hmm. It would be a great $20
1: to spend. So what's the timeline? Let, let's say I, I want to do the, a course or whatever on, the unplanned ground for teachers, are there, are there 20 sessions? I mean, I can look at, look, we can look it up, but I'm just curious. I think it's six sessions. Okay.
2: Uh, oh, I think it's okay. six. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, That's too When weird. we, yeah, when we went through it as parents, it was a six week deal. And then of course they continue to minister to you afterwards and you kind of, you know, they kind of start letting you go out on your own and stuff and trying things. Um, but I'm pretty sure, unless they have changed the way that they do things on the teacher side, I think you can sign up for that teacher account and you can watch all the videos all at once if you want to, you know. Um, but I think you can dig in further and reach out to the people there to, to actually speak to them. And you know, if you're really serious about it and you really want to make some changes, I would highly recommend having a consultation with them and letting them
1: talk to
0: you you through those things. This needs to be in the schools.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it does. You know, I I have a a parent of ADHD child who got it from me. I take full responsibility. This would have been very helpful for me Mm -hmm. as a parent and absolutely as a teacher. But So, okay, okay. great. Oh, I had
0: one thing to say and I cannot remember it. I should have written it down. Oh, well, I'll try to think of it later. Um, okay, so we're going to attack the myth that I used to think, but now I know, so I think everybody has a good clue of the answer now, but let's say that, um, I'm teaching sixth grade, and I've got this student, and I'm talking to him at lunch, and I'm, like, oh my gosh, he is just doing this to press my buttons. And then I turn to you. Oh, and by the way, I've got this girl and she's just doing this to whatever. And I want us to stop and think, um, there might be more, there might be more. And so, um, I've learned from conscious discipline about the iceberg. So I always draw for my students a big it's, I'm a terrible artist, but a big like <laughs> mountain and that's the iceberg, but it's inverted. So it's upside down. And I draw this cute little boat. Well, what did the boat see? They just saw the top of the iceberg. So maybe I do see that you are pestering me or that you are lying to me or, but stealing. That, or stealing or I'm always challenging me. I say you're going to do an open response and you're, like, well, How about I just do this, you know, that there's more to the story. Mm -hmm. Um, that what what you can't see in that iceberg is is causing what we are seeing. So
2: and that is um that's definitely a myth. Um and always when I would get called to the school for crew if something would happen to the school uh school that he had done, my very, very first question became Every time, what happened? You know, there is a reason why he did this. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. I'm, I'm asking, I need to know the whole story from the very beginning. What did you say to him? How did you say it to him? Who said it to him? You know, all of those questions. And I know they probably got tired of me asking, but I needed to know for myself. It wasn't that I was trying to, um, you know, they didn't know what they were doing. It was more of, I need to know so that when we get home, I can talk this through with him, like, so that I know exactly what happened and what caused this escalation of behavior. So,
0: well, I think if is, you are tracking behaviors yeah. and always noting that antecedent, what happened, what was happening before that you will see patterns, mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that's, I think, I think we should trigger. Yeah. I think we're going to have to do a podcast where we are not have to, we have the opportunity to, to discuss um, how to track behavior, how to analyze it. And that, that would be interesting. And so it was life changing for me. And and I, and I did not learn that till I was teaching college students and you talk about this girl was analyzing some behavior <laughs> uh, and really attacking it. And I got bang for my buck out of it, you know?
2: When yeah. you can start, again, going through and pushing some of those those problems out of the way, some of those bushes out of the way, when you can identify
0: what happened to start the problem. I think it's great to try this. And then attack the root, you know, really get into what's causing it. So. Well, Angie, we could talk for hours. It was so good. Oh, okay. learned thank so you.
1: much. I hope our listeners have. Yeah. I know they have, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I know they'll get a lot out of this because I've got pages of notes over here. Laura kept saying, you're moving your pencil. <laughs> they can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I had all the notes. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. I'm glad
2: that you guys asked me to do this because I, uh, you know, I, I say all the time, crew is going to be the child that changes, changes the world because he's got a mother that is a loud mouth. And um, so, you know, that's just, it, it wasn't planned. I, that's right. That's right.
0: And so but you are crew's advocate and so many of our students don't have an advocate. And so we as teachers can become that advocate.
2: Absolutely. Yes, we have got to start advocating for our, our students in our
0: classroom. Yeah. Yes. yes. Okay, would you come back on sometime, please? Yes. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, I have lots of ideas, so we'll talk later. But okay, thank you so much for joining us. All right, listeners, we would love for you to share this podcast with a friend. Um, we appreciate you listening. Our next episode is going to be a Q&A back-to-school style. That's exciting. <laughs> so you can submit your questions, and Kim and I will problem-solve with you, and we'll share them with the world, and maybe you can learn from other people's questions too. So we're super excited about that. So you'll, we'll be putting a post out on Facebook and Instagram, and you can just share your questions there. So uh, as always, we hope that today has helped you in some way. Our goal in this podcast is to at least help one teacher help one student one day, one time. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day.